Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. Go Wild has recently partnered with Mountain Tough for a free 30-day workout program designed to get you in shape for turkey season called the Go Wild Challenge. Download Go Wild to sign up and let everyone know in a Go Wild post that you're joining us. Then, each time you do a workout, tag Go Wild and Mountain Tough to hold yourself accountable. Also, Go Wild will be attending the Great American Outdoor Show February 4th through the 12th. If you're in the area, stop by booth 412, meet the guys, and learn all about Go Wild. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on this week's episode, Dimitri and I, we are joined by Josh Raley from How to Hunt Deer podcast and the Wisconsin Sportsman's podcast. Both of these podcasts, though, air on the Sportsman's Empire on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And Josh was a great guest to have on our show. We really enjoyed this chat, and I really think you will as well. We dove down some really good gear rabbit holes in this one. So if you're really into that stuff, I believe this one's for you. But also we dive into some hunting success from 2022 for him. So really cool topics that we dive into with that as well and postseason scouting. But, you know, Josh was able to attend his very first ATA show this past January and he shared with us some of the items that he really liked from the show and and then some gear that he used this past year that he really loved and kind of broke went down some rabbit holes with that and some certain things about maybe over the last couple of years that he did not see a need for anymore and all that stuff but we also discussed though like how our hunting gear right now is really pushing the limits for maximizing like how efficient these all our gear gear is so from like our bows our mobile gear that we use to you name it how everything is just being maximized and really efficient for us and we talk about like too like the pricing of everything and you know it, it it's just a real conversation that we really enjoyed and i'm glad it was brought up because it was great to hear josh's and dimitri's take on like where the trends of the hunting gear and, and like really where it's heading so like I said earlier, too, we're, we wrap up this episode with Josh talking about his successful season this past year and like really what went into that and how we as hunters really get our, in our own head when you know we tell ourselves we're going to do one thing, but then we do something totally different, right? So it's just cool to hear Josh's uh, success with that. And again, we wrap up talking about some postseason strategy, what we have going on with that as well. So when this episode drops, when this airs, the Great American Outdoor Show will already be going on. So hopefully those of you that stopped by the Tethered Booth the first weekend, I had a chance to say hello to you. It was great to meet you as well as um, this last weekend coming up. I will be there Saturday and Sunday as well. So come by, say hello, say what's up to everybody, see what we have going on at the booth. So really appreciate all the support. Looking forward to what's to come here this year. Thanks again, everybody. Enjoy this episode.
America's Best Bowstrings has been manufacturing high-quality custom bowstrings in the USA since 2006. America's Best Bowstrings strives on the commitment to never end the search for perfection, and this has been the driving force behind the company. Innovative products for every archer out there. Go create a custom set today at americasbestbowstrings.com. And a special code is made for our listeners of the Antler Up podcast for America's Best Bowstrings. Use code ANTLERUP and you will save $10 off your order. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. Over the past year, you've heard some awesome things that Go Wild has been doing. And one of the things right now at the Great American Outdoor Show, they they have their booth up there. They'll be there until the last day, February 12th. They're going to be in booth 412. Go get your picture taken with Sasquatch. Yes, like really go do that. And what's going to be really cool is if you have a hat or a shirt or something along those lines, you'll get a free gift from the guys over at Go Wild. They're going to be handing out stickers, selling items from brands like Garmin, Vortex, Tacticam, Trophy Line, ATN, and a ton more. So go check them out. Hopefully you had a chance to check out the guys from the O2 podcast. They were there, I believe, Monday and Tuesday. So awesome things. Bo Martonic, I believe, was also there Monday. I'm going to hopefully try to get there this last weekend on Saturday, stop by the booth and hang out as well for a little bit, sneak away from the tether booth and get there. But, you know, Awesome things going from these guys. Some really cool initiatives that they're they're doing. A UTV giveaway. They they're wrapping up the Mountain Tough Go Wild partnership activity that they have going on the workout plan. Check out Go Wild's app. It's a free app that all of us outdoorsmen women could all use. Post about you know questions as well as just our trophy. Uh, you know, all our, our fun things that we were doing out in the outdoors. So go download the go wild app. We'll go read some cool articles that I, I wrote on there about saddle hunting. There's a ton of other people. I know Bo just posted a really cool one about, uh, you're at home, uh, doing an at home bow kind of sanctuary area. So go check it out. Go wild. And well, hey, let's get rolling here. We have uh, Josh Rayleigh on the podcast, another individual that has been on. Uh, we did we did your podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, but you also run the uh, Wisconsin Sportsman uh, podcast over on our network, the Sportsman's Empire. So, Josh, man, welcome to our show. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to uh, catching up with you guys again. It's been a little while since we had you on the How to Hunt Deer show, and so. Uh, yeah, glad we could sit down and do this. Absolutely, man. So, you know, we were just kind of off air talking about what, what's going on. And I kind of liked what you were saying of kind of like the other gig that you've been busy on doing and busy doing. So what, what's happening right now for, for, for Josh? Yeah, man. So right now, a couple of different things. Number one, still grinding with the network. I mean, I, I, uh, corral all of you guys, I guess, weekly and, and get all of your content and, uh, work with the network to make sure it's all going out and all sounding good. Also have the two shows going on, you know, Wisconsin sportsmen right now, we're talking ice fishing, we're talking bow fishing, that kind of stuff. 
then how to hunt deer. We're about to start talking, you know, ATA. We're going to be talking postseason scouting and all that good stuff. But then I'm also doing property consulting, habitat consulting for folks uh, as something I just started doing this year with Whitetail Partners, which means um, we do anything from a virtual design where we look at your property and help you lay it out the best for deer. We can come and do an on-site review of your property and, you know, tell you where exactly where we'd put the bedding areas and food plots and that kind of thing. Or we even do um, pre-buy, pre-purchase reviews. So if you've got a farm that's 20, 40, 50, 60 acres, whatever, and you say, hey, I want to make sure I'm investing this money well, you know, look at these two farms, Josh. Which one could you do more with from a whitetail hunting perspective? And we'll help you think through, um, you know, each of those properties and which one might be best for you. That's crazy. Dimitri, have you ever gone bow uh, fishing with the bow? No, never have. Yeah, there was a guy that used to run that one boondock saints around here mm-hmm. that I, I know that used to do it. But I know a lot of people around here are into that stuff. Yeah, you guys haven't tried it yet. I haven't. No, I if I could only I could only imagine Ian doing that and just like shooting every fish. <laughs> you know, like I could only imagine our buddy Ian doing that. That'd be so much fun to three of us or get more multiple people to go and do that because that just seems like a blast. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to try it this spring. So I've got a guy coming on. We're gonna talk all about it and and. Uh, how the sport is really growing in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And then usually, so I, I drew a season A tag, which is the very earliest turkey season for Wisconsin. And usually that means I'm done by about 15 minutes after sunup. Um, <laughs> not, I'm not a good turkey hunter. They just, that time of year, they're all flocked up and they respond really, really well to decoys. And so it just usually works out because of really high quality properties, large turkey population. So I'm hoping the rest of that week I can spend doing some bow fishing while I'm still up there. Nice. When is that time frame for you that, that you say that it's early? Because here in Pennsylvania, we're super late. Like early for us is the junior uh, youth hunt when it's like April and that last week of April, I think, because then the following weekend is statewide opener, which is in May. So what's that time frame for you? Yeah, so opener for us comes in on April 19th for the adult seasons. Our youth season is uh, April 15th and 16th this year. Um, and I say that's early there because we've still got mornings in the 20s. You know, we're, we're still dealing with some pretty cool temperatures. A lot of years, there's still snow on the ground, still snow to come. Um, but, and, and you really have not started to see really much of any uh, dispersal yet as far as the flocks. I mean, you'll drive past the field and there's still, you know, 50 birds flocked up together, which makes really cool hunting. It's crazy. Demetri, do you got anything you want to start off with, with Josh? Uh, I guess we could talk about ATA. I mean, that was a big topic yeah. that you and I kind of, we didn't really discuss, but kind of just had some ideas of, you know, where things are going as far as what we've seen the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. So Josh, was this your first year going? It was man. My very first ATA and dude, it was super intimidating <laughs> walking into that room. So yeah. first of all, first of all, Dan Johnson is a much bigger man than I thought. I don't know how big you guys are. I'm five foot seven, right? Like I'm a yep. short dude. All right, so we're the same height. Dimitri's Dimitri's the the ogre in the room. He's he's okay. six three, football linebacker, ready to tear your head off. Okay, so you're 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 our Dan Johnson for tonight because okay. Dan is like a towering dude, and his shoulders are like six and a half feet wide, and I mean he's just a, he's just a big dude. So that was like the first shocker for me was to walk in and be like, oh yeah, I'm rooming with you. I've never seen you before in real life, but. I guess this will work. So, uh, 
Yeah, that was good. But, but yeah, man, you walk in and there's all these hunting celebrities that you've watched on TV or seen on the internet. And, you know, for me, grew up watching a lot of these folks and you walk in and they're all right there in the same room. And it's like overload. Like, what do I, what do I do? I don't belong here. What am I, what, what am I doing here? You know? Yeah, that's, I, last year I worked it with Tethered and, you know, if we had a couple minutes to go walk around really quick, one or two of us, that was really my time and like walking maybe around in the, in the morning before anybody was even in there just to just walk around. And obviously no one's at the booth, so you can't really go and mingle or, or look, pick up a product or something along those lines. But it's definitely, I could see from that side, like how you said, how it could be intimidating just because it's so big and so much going on. And you guys were there. Did you go like two days? Cause I forget like what the rule actual rules are for who could go when and all that jazz. Yeah. So day one is buyer's day and it's only, it's really only buyers, buyers and, yep. and vendors, manufacturers that are in there. Now, Dan, me and Dan both had press passes that were good for buyer's day, which was really, really interesting because, you know, as you're walking around, people think you're a buyer. So they're like trying to talk to you. And then all of a sudden they realize you're press and they're like, ah, we've got all week to talk to you. Get out of here. You know? Yeah. Uh, so that, that was pretty interesting, but uh, yeah, so we were there on uh, for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, but Thursday and Friday are open to, you know, all press and that kind of thing. And that's when guys are really looking to slow down, do some podcasts with you, do a little more talking with you, that kind of thing. Day one is kind of like they're trying to get business done, you yeah. know, trying to get their meetings out of the way, get their sales done. And um, yeah, then day, day two and three are, are a lot more laid back. Yeah. I noticed from this year, and I, I said this to Dan through text message and stuff was there wasn't a lot of coverage this year as far as like new products, um, just in general. Like, and I know talking to other people, like they said, it was down as far as like attendance and who was there and, and whatnot. But, you know, for you, you know, going with this, Josh, I do want to ask what maybe something that you like that to show or a, a product that you could see yourself kind of maybe tinkering around with that along those lines. Yeah. The, uh, man, there were a lot of things that I was really excited to see. There was a lot of innovation this year in the saddle hunting realm, mm -hmm. which I'm excited about. You know, mm -hmm. I, I kind of felt like with saddle hunting, mobile hunting, we were kind of getting to like the apex. I mean, how much lighter are you going to go on a tree stand than a five pound tree stand? Right. You know, like how much more are we going to push the envelope? But this year people got creative and um, I think some really cool stuff came out. So uh, the thing that I was looking forward to the most was the latitude sticks. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, I forget what they're called, but they are uh, all carbon sticks, all one piece, no bolts, no hardware, nothing. And they are rock solid. Mm -hmm. I mean, I climbed up on them, jumped on them, had one of their guys climb on them and like filmed the step to try to see if there was any flex or wiggle or anything like that. Nothing. It just was, was absolutely rock solid. So super impressed with those looking forward to get my hands on them and, you know, put them through the paces a little bit more, see how they hold up. What about anything that you saw, Dimitri, that you saw that maybe you could ask Josh that you, if you had a chance to check it out or anything. Uh, like you said, I mean, I, I tried to scan a couple of videos, uh, probably like the week after. And, you know, there was a couple of things I just wanted to see if anyone had some coverage on. And, you know, like you said, there wasn't a whole lot of, yeah. you know, videos or, you know, the, the, uh, companies themselves put out some videos, 
Um, but as far as the reviews and stuff, there wasn't, you know, as much as you typically see in prior, prior years, you know. And the thing I ask you is, you know, going into ATA, I've never been there, just watching videos. You know, you hear the bad stories, you hear the good <laughs> stories of ATA, of, you know, how you can network. You know, what was your expectations going in? And then kind of like now that you've been there, whether it was good or bad, if you want to cover a little bit of both, that's that's OK, too. Uh, now that you've been there. Yeah, man, I I'm with I'm with you. I've heard the good and the bad. So my expectations, I try to just kind of push it all out. Right. Like I was going in there with the goal of of networking with people, because that's one of the coolest parts about doing the podcast and that kind of thing, like. I like to talk with people and I like to get to talk with people on these shows that I don't normally get to that don't, you know, they're not in my day-to-day circle. And so that's what I was looking forward to the most is getting to know a lot of these brands, getting to know the people behind them, Mm -hmm. uh, especially some of the stuff that I already use or already like, kind of get in there and and meet some of those folks. Um, So my expectations were, uh, I was trying to just kind of tamp it all down. Now I did expect to see a lot more, like you're saying, coverage uh, folks doing, you know, live interviews on video, that kind of thing. I didn't see a ton of it. it there was some going on. I know the Bowhunter Die crew was there and they were doing a lot of that. But outside of them, or, and um, let's see, uh, Lancaster Archery, you yeah. guys are yep. probably familiar with them. Uh, they were doing a bit of that as well. But but you're right, there was a lot less of that than I've seen, uh, at least coming out in, in previous years. And my goal was to kind of go in and cover as much as I could as far as getting pictures and talking with people so that I could kind of come back later piece together the content that I want to share, have it in a more, um, a more polished fashion rather than try to rush back to the hotel room or head to the press room and crank out an article real quick. It's kind of like, I'm going to tuck all this in my back pocket. A lot of this stuff's not going to come out until, you know, March, April, May, even June for a lot of it. And so it's really not ready anyway to launch. And it's really not a big service to these companies to write an article about all these products that, and you can get your hands on it in six months. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of sitting on a lot of stuff that um, hopefully I'll be cranking out here over the next couple of months as we get, you know, closer to the launch date for some of these things. Yeah. Cause I know even for tethered, they're releasing that new uh, lockdown saddle. And I'm, I mean, they are shooting for like an early summer release, even like on, on that, just because till we get a kind of like a, the right manufacturer of, within the United States that's going to make those and has the right, you know, panels or X, Y, and Z, whatever pieces of equipment that goes into it. So yeah, that's, that is the, I think, like you said, uh, last year, I think about Stan Archery, their releases. And I remember there was one that they released last year. You had to wait until June, July to, to get it. And just, you know, which is fine. That's totally fine. It's just for people like us that are, you know, who like for me, like we shoot our bow almost all year round. Like, I don't think there's a month off that Dimitri and I don't shoot our bow. So it's like, you know, you want that release. Do you think that could be the one that could, you want to try out or whatever? And if it's not out, you're just prolonging that to get, you know, used to that single release. Yeah. And how often have you seen products at ATA where for the company, something comes up? It might be uh, a malfunction in the product that they want to get ironed out yep. and it just gets pushed way further down the road. Like I'm, I'm thinking of some of the things from last year that were, you know, part of the innovation zone that were really anticipated highly. And then all of a sudden they disappeared yeah. and the product never made it. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of another thing of like, I don't, I don't want to push a product or, or, you know, write a lot about a product, get guys hyped about a product and then it never make it to actual production. Yeah. Uh, but man, that tethered lockdown saddle. Oh my word. 
Did you sit in it? It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Now, I don't think it's going to be for me long term. Okay. Big pouches on the side and stuff. It's a little bigger, and, I, and I'm pretty happy with with kind of the standard style of saddle. But for guys who haven't spent a lot of time in a saddle, or guys who maybe want a little bit more there, a little more substance to it, uh, it's going to make a really easy transition for the tree stand or lock on hunter into saddle hunting. It just it opens that door a lot more for, for more people to uh, feel comfortable trying it out. I believe that's awesome. I, yeah. I think, I think they hit a home run with, th- they found like a, a good medium where people could that are very over the year, the past year, Dimitri, we had a lot of people talk about how they want to minimize gear. And that's something that you and I even both did this year. So people that want to bring less into the woods, how awesome is it that you could have those shoulder straps on if you would like and put your predator pack on there. If that's the or whatever piece that you're able to kind of probably uh, run on that. But let's just, you know, keep it on the tethered side of things. You put your predator pack on that. You're able to take it off that. So you don't just hunt with that on. And then on your side, you could, those pockets are big enough to hold say your tags and kill kit or just your knife or whatever you might need for say quick and easy hunts, especially early season when you don't need your pack to carry in a jacket or whatever. That is like a, a awesome feature. And the one thing that I've always said to the guys is I'm a sitter when it comes into the, to the saddle. I love putting my knees in. I feel like I'm compact to the tree, minimal movement. That's my personal preference. And I've always felt like say a time where if I'm sitting long enough or I don't have my tether at the correct length, if I need to pull that down just to cover my ass a little bit more, having no, having those loops on this new lockdown to be able to expand that now yeah. and on that pleat, that's just money. So it just depends. Like, I think again, it's, and it's also comfortable if you're a leaner, but I think that sitter and that individual that is looking to bring less into the woods in a more confined area, that is going to be a great saddle option for you. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a 50, 50 guy, like if you like to sit for a while and then lean for a while and go back. So the way the pleats work, it goes with you the entire time. So you're not going to find yourself doing a lot of adjusting. Like if you want to move back to a seated position, it's going to hug you pretty well exactly where you had it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to expand back with you when you sit down without you having to do a lot of fiddling for it. And to me, that was the, that's kind of what makes it a bit of a winner when it comes to the actual, you know, saddle itself and what sets it apart from, from a lot of others. Now I lean 99% of the time. So not a huge deal for me, but guys that do both, Man, it's gonna be it's gonna be a home run, like you said. Yeah, Demetri, you're a leaner, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I probably never sit. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I just because uh, you even run a regular size. Yeah, yeah. See, I have an XL that I want you to just try it out, just to see how it would cover you, cover your butt, just to for a comfortability, even like leaning wise. I just I don't know. I ha- I have, and I just want you to try just to see how it feels. But anything else, Josh, that, that kind of maybe here was another thing like Dimitri and I said, man, if like, let me ask you this. What bow are you shooting right now? I'm shooting a Matthews TX five. OK, so that was three years ago. I, th- I want to say it was their one of their 2019 models. It wasn't like the flagship for the year. Yeah, it was the year was after the, the TR the 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 was it the, the triax? It was the year after the triax. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So it's a, it was a shorter brace height bow, uh, pretty short axle to axle, 
uh, really made for getting speed to those with a shorter draw length. That okay. was kind of the the sell for that. Like, hey, if you've got a short draw length, we've got a five inch brace height bow, which is you know obviously shaving uh, or not. Yeah, anyway, shaving two inches off of the. Uh, I'm trying to think of the the term now, but anyway, shaving an extra two inches, which mm-hmm. is is huge for your power stroke. Yep. Yes, yeah, so, and it's you know long range that you know that's where you're, you're sacrificing your speed for your forgiveness, and that's what the brace side's doing with all that. So okay, so 2019 is pretty. Let's just throw that out there. 2019 was the last time we got a new bow. Man, yep. new bows now they're going up in price. No longer the 999, they're 1299, right? Yep. And then for certain models, they're 13 plus, and then yep. for carbon bows, they're 1800 plus. Yep. Um, you're having jackets 300 dollars. It's not cheap anymore and i like dan and i had that conversation on his podcast where you know it's the how much money could you buy this land and and hunt and it's not really benefit like going out there and helping say a newer hunter or an individual that's looking to get into hunting man it's tough right now if you want some of the top of the line stuff and like dimitri what because i know this is something that you particularly brought up so i don't want to steal but like go ahead and like i guess whatever you wanted to dive into or how you wanted to bring it up, like, let's talk about that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, that's what thing I noticed is watching some of these videos the last couple of years of new products coming out. And I mean, yeah, the innovation is, is great. Uh, but then it also comes with price. Right. And, you know, just thinking about the small town that we live in, you know, not everyone can afford some of these prices, you know, fortunate for us, you know, we have pretty good jobs and, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, thinking about trying to budget for some of these, you know, products, like we just talked about that, the saddle, right. And they have a new, new pack out, right. Um, and their sticks. I mean, if you start adding those, I mean, phenomenal each piece that, you know, go in the woods, uh, to, to become a better hunter, but then that really sacrifice your budget and what you can afford. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily a gear guy and you probably, a lot of people probably hear that. I I mean, you give me anything, I'll take it out in the woods and I'll try using it. Right. You know, I don't have to have the the latest and greatest. And I always try to portray that. Like, you know, I used a budget bow this year, right. And, uh, killed four deer with no problem with that. Um, but you know, I just see the, the prices going higher and higher, which brings better products. But, uh, you know, I just know a majority of people out there, you know, especially going through a recession are going to have trouble affording these products. Yeah. And I think to the like Nate sellers with average Jack Archer, he owns a shop, Josh. I, do, you, do you know Nate at all? Like, have you seen him online? Average Jack yeah. Archer? Yep. Yeah, so I've he, had him on a couple of times. Yes. Yeah. Awesome dude. And his, his bow shop is three minutes from my house, 10 minutes from Dimitri's house. And, you know, like Dimitri said in our area, you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, Oh man, I, I hope he's like, he's killing it. He's doing very good because people are, he's doing heck of a lot of restringing bows, but man, you walk in there, there might be one new bow within the last five years. And then you look at the rest of the bows and they're either crossbows or they're bows from like 1999. Like Nate's such a good, good individual. And he's so kind and polite. You know, and I said to him, I said, at what point do you be like, Dude, just so you know, like if something goes wrong, like I cannot fix it one or get a piece that could replace this bolt or this limb. You might have to, like you said, Dimitri, like save your money and maybe get that good bear archery that is five ninety nine for your whole setup. 
You know what I mean? If that's the type of individual because they haven't bought a new bow since 2002, right? Um, but yeah, that's like, but he's doing a great job. He has his league night is slammed every night. There's, you know, bows are being bought. And, um, but, you know, he just became a Matthews dealer. So I'm hoping that, you know, maybe have a Matthews like a bigger name. Like I know he sells PSE and Athens and Bear. So I'm, you know, obviously PSE is a, was his main flagship bow company, but now adding Matthews, I'm hoping, you know, more, obviously that's a, you know, has a bigger following out of most brands basically, but uh, hopefully that will allow him to, you know, even flourish in, in, in our area. Yeah. I, I would encourage folks to like, if you're in that space where you're like, look, I really need some new gear, but uh, the pricing is holding me back. Like there's some really good gear out there at, at decent prices. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned bear archery. I spent a good bit of time talking with some of the guys from bear archery and they have got some really nice bows at that four ninety nine, five ninety nine price point that man, you put them up against a bow from three or four years ago, a, a flagship from a big company, they're going to shoot just as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're, they may not be quite as dead in the hand and that's probably what you're sacrificing is that the, the feeling at the shot. But as far as it's being an accurate bow and being able to do what you need it to do and being able to kill deer with it. Yeah. Absolutely. All day long. Yeah. Because, hmm. Dimitri, you, how often do you think you shoot your bow? Uh, probably over the winter time, you know, a couple times a month. But then, you know, going into spring, I'm probably shooting, oh, I don't know, maybe couple times a week. And then that just progressively gets more till I get closer to fall. Yeah. Josh, how about you? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm right there with you. So I probably shoot right now three weeks out of four mm-hmm. throughout the winter. And when I say shoot, I mean, I go out in the backyard and I shoot six yeah. to 10 arrows and I'm done. You know, it's not a long shooting session whatsoever. And honestly, I try to keep that rate for pretty much the entire year. It, it gets more, more often as in every day. Um, but it doesn't, I don't shoot a lot more than six to 10 arrows a day anyway, just cause that's when I'm fresh. I want to catch that, you know, first shot of the day kind of thing. And I'm really bad about getting in my head. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not shooting well today, I don't need to sit there and shoot more to try to get things figured out. I need to put it down and walk away Yeah. or I'm going to mess something up and it's not going to be good. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So the best thing for me is just set it down, walk away, come back tomorrow so, uh, yeah, right now I'm two to three times a week or two to three, two to three times a month. And then again, just like Dimitri said, it'll, it'll ramp up as we get closer to fall. Right. So I'm obviously in that same boat. So I would say like, you know, there's thousands of individuals that are like us and there's thousands of individuals that are, are even more obviously in, in it, maybe doing indoor leagues for money and, and ramping it up even more than we are. And then there's individuals that I probably would be between the three groups that I just said, there's probably more people that don't touch their stuff until the summer, right? That don't touch it till the very end. So I feel like it's, I don't know where I'm, where I really want to go with this, but that is exactly the group that don't buy that bow every single year or don't buy that bow every couple of years. So, I mean, but for like you were going rewinding, if the individual that is looking for a better price on something like I actually just saw on uh, AJ's um, Instagram, someone asked like, how do you buy a, a flagship bow or something along those lines for a decent amount of money without breaking the bank? And like, I love what he said. He's like, dude, buy a, 
a two to three year old flagship bow that's still in good shape off someone because you can, you know, there's people like Dimitri said, there are people that have a good enough job that will buy that new bow every single year because that's what they like to do. They're, you know, however see fit with their money, but you know, you could get a good deal on that. And that's, it's the same thing too, for, for what we wear in the woods, camo boots, um, you know, saddle, whatever, you know, whatever gear, like our, our buddy Mike bought a whole saddle set up and never once used it. And now he's going, trying to do a light, a lightweight hang on. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, that's just the nature of the beast of, of what we're doing, I guess. Yeah. Keep your eyes on the forums, keep your eyes in class on the classifieds and man, honestly, when those bows, when the new bows start dropping. So when, when folks start getting the, this year's Matthews or Hoyt in their hands, watch eBay. Cause those guys are selling off the last year's bows or two years ago's bows and uh, trying to offload them. They're, you know, they're trying to get rid of them, trying to either pay for their, you know, new accessories that they're going to get or whatever. And you can find some excellent deals that way. Yeah. yeah and I think a, a lot of it too is, is these companies and, and the major influencers that we would have in the space, you know, they're always so showcasing the, the latest and the greatest, right? You know, and I think some sometimes more people need to do a better job of trying to tailor to other people too, right? And I get that's where they make their money and that's where they're going to get most of their profit. So they, they have to kind of market to that. But I, I, I just think, you know, that's why I feel kind of obligated to kind of showcase to a lot of our listeners that, you know, Hey, this can get the job done just as a lot of these other tools. And, and, um, and that's okay. Right. You know, it, it kills the deer the same way that $2,000 bow does. So, and yep. it, you know, if you have the money to buy the great bow and that's what you want, that's fine too. But if you want to spend 500 bucks, I'm sure you can kill just as many deer too. That's yep. right. Absolutely. What, um, what pieces this year that in the hunting season, Josh, did you kind of run with that, you know, will definitely be back in your bag or whatever you're, you know, with you next year? Yeah. So uh, a couple of different things. Number one, I swapped over to Huntworth gear camo this year. Okay. Is, you know, it's not up there in the price point of like, you know, Sitka or first light or anything like that. But it's it's a little bit more than like you know the the real tree camo you go grab off, grab off the shelf at Walmart, and that stuff performed so well this nice. year. Um, just did a really good job. The pattern I was using uh, it's called their Tarnin, and dude, it, it was fantastic. I did not. I had deer trying hard to pick me off in a tree this year on on several occasions, and they couldn't do it. Hmm. So uh, I was really really impressed with that. Um, you know, some of their pieces, I ended up getting pretty riddled up with briars, but I don't, I don't think you can hold that against the piece. That's more against the, the user at that point, you know, you tear something up pretty good. Uh, so that's, that's definitely going to be back for next year. Um, the bow, I'm not going to upgrade, man. I like, I like the TX five. It shoots well. It's pretty dead in the hand. I'm, I'm reasonably accurate with it. And, uh, I don't see a reason to upgrade. If I was going to upgrade, it would probably be for one of the bear bows that I saw this year, just nice. hearing about the technology that went into it and, you know, realizing I don't have to, you know, basically decide between a new truck and a bow. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's just getting crazy with some of that stuff. Uh, so those are definitely making a return. I'm probably going to finally, uh, put away the old lone wolf sticks, uh, this year. They, they have served me well. 
they've run their course though. And I'm, I'm kind of done with, you know, tightening bolts every year to check it all out. And, uh, honestly, they're just big, you know, I got yeah. the full length sticks and everything. I've never modded them. And so, uh, I think I'm going to be changing sticks to the latitude sticks this year, but I, I'm still thinking about it. So I've got, uh, a company right now, uh, called overwatch outdoors. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. I've, I've seen their stuff online. Yeah, so they, they make the Transformer saddle, and then for a while, I don't know if, they, if they're still doing it or not, they made a, a saddle called the Orion, which was kind of uh, a heavy-duty heavy saddle, let's say, kind of built like the old Kestrels used to be built, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot more comfortable, in, in my personal opinion. And I'm debating whether or not that's going to make a return to the woods this year or not. I was super comfortable in it. Uh, it's not the lightest, though, and there's a lot of metal on it that, you know, we could potentially move away from. So, but we'll see. Uh, but I was, I was really happy with, um, with my camo this year. And then the tethered, um, platform, I, I still have no reason to move away from that thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's rock solid. Do you use the regular or do you use the XL? So I've got the regular, uh, I had a gen one, uh, until November of last year. And, uh, on November 2nd, last year, well, November 2nd of 21, I go in and, you know, they had some problems cracking at the base yep. and I pushed it too far, man. And it finally, it finally cracked at the base. Uh, I still sat on it that morning or still stood on it that morning and shot my buck. So it all worked out. Like everything was fine. Uh, shooting a buck off a cracked, uh, cracked saddle platform. But uh, so currently I use the regular, I've been thinking a little bit more about the XL just to get a little more foot room, but Every time I look at that one, I'm like, ah, I just love the size. It's compact. It's easy to get up in the tree, and I don't have to buy something new. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Dimitri, you run the XL. Yep. Yeah, I run the XL. I have size 13 boots, so, you know, it just makes sense for me to have a little bit more of, of the room. Now, you know, I run that on the back of my pack, uh, and it's, you know, the width is not wider than than a normal mm-hmm. backpack. I just run an XOP. I forget even what the name of it, whatever the, their backpack is that they have. Um, and I mean, it works out fine for me. So I don't feel like it's too big or bulky or heavy compared to the regular platform. Right. I, this year I exclusively ran the regular. I, I was, uh, I bought the regular like gen, I think maybe gen one as well, Josh. And then I ended up selling it. i for the XL version, uh, had the XL version since it came out. <clears throat> and then, cause the thing that kind of drew me to the XL originally was the, the grip on the, on top compared to it being just nice and flat on the gen yep. one version of the platform. Yep. And now like the latest, uh, in edition of the regular platform, it, it's basically the same, um, cutouts on the side. And now you have the grip on, on top as well as the XL does. But, yeah, this year, I think it was from like doing all the other uh, teach and train tour events and everything, uh, like just standing on that, the regular size one at these events where I was like, I'll give it a shot and see how it goes. And I just, I, I, for me, I, I'm only a, a nine and a half boot. So it was plenty room on that sucker. And uh, I felt like it, 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 it was perfectly fine. So I could see myself using that XL again in the future. It's not like it does not have a, a place but I did use the regular exclusively this year. I did not grab the XL once. Yeah. So do you think that you'll, uh, you think you'll 
make it a little more permanent and a little bit more of a decision time. Yeah. Honestly, if you're, if I had to get rid of one, I would get rid of the XL. Okay. Yeah. And I, because my worry was the all day sits just being able to, I mean, I, I will say like, yeah, like when I turn, like stand up and put my back to the tree to take a leak, um, it's not as easy as it was probably on the XL, um, sure. but having the suspenders makes that a whole lot easier too. So yeah. <laughs> just holding it up. Uh, XOP had a little platform, not a little platform. They had a platform there that had no seat with it, um, but it was about the size of a custom gear 0.5 mm-hmm. of just a platform, but it looked like a saddle platform. And man, I asked them, I was like, Hey, are you guys going to, going to do anything with this? Like, will this be coming out? And they were like, well, we don't really know. We, we kind of just brought it along cause it's something we had, but then guys started stopping and asking us about it, man, that thing, if, if that turns into a, an offering that they have, I'm, I, I would be really excited to try that out for, for some all day sits. Cause I like to occasionally, you know, stand up, turn around, put my back to the tree, kind of have my yep. tether going over my shoulder just to get a different field of view and, you know, just kind of break things up during the day, especially when you're there all day. Um, but this would give you lots and lots of foot room. Um, and I think it's like three and a half pounds or yeah. something like that. If I remember correctly, it's, it's crazy light. Yeah. And that's as much as the, the XL platform. Is yeah. Three and a half. So. Yeah. There's not a lot of material. Like when you hold it, you're like, boy, there's not a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> what's a, what's something maybe whether this past year or within the last couple of years, what was a thing that you were so maybe juiced about giving a shot and then you, you were like, yeah, this is, I won't bring this back. Oh man. That's it's not good... that, cause you're not, we're not, I, we're not bashing a company. It's just maybe a piece of gear that I just, you did not see a fit in your style of hunting or whatever. Yeah, man. That's a really good question. There were, there were a couple of things and it, it, you know, the first one is probably more on the modification side, but I took all my lone wolf sticks and I swapped them over to the double steps mm-hmm. you know, so that I had steps on both sides. And those were, you know, they added a little bit of weight, that kind of thing. And they just, it, it didn't do enough for me to justify having a fixed position stick that I couldn't, uh, you know, fold back down to get more compact and that kind of thing. So that, that was one of them. And then um, there was a, so I won't name the company, but I did try out a bow sling for my, for my bow, carrying it in and out of the woods. And dude, that just got to be such a pain. And I, I didn't even realize it. Like I was just using it like, like everything was fine. And so I'm carrying, you know, this sling in and out of the woods. And, you know, occasionally I think, oh, this is pretty handy, but it's one more thing to keep up with. And one more thing to stow away once you're at the tree and one more thing to leave at the base of the tree on accident and have to walk back into the woods to go get, you know? And so I very quickly uh, ditched that thing at, you know, basically I I used it all of last year and then just nixed it for this year and decided that's, I'm done with that. And then uh, last thing, last thing I'll mention is, um, and I almost hate to say this single bevel broadheads. Okay. Uh, I ditched them and you know, man, I was a big proponent for a little while. I mean, I was shooting big 200 grain single bevels, you know, popping hairs on the way out kind of sharp. Right. And I shot a couple of deer with them and I got miserable blood trails and, um, I was pulling them out of the ground on the other side of the deer, which was great. And they were just chewed up like blades chewed up beyond being able to, 
sharpen and refine those. And so I just had to make the call. I was like, these are just not performing like people said they would. You know, they're not, they're not as tough as people said they were. They're not holding an edge as well as people said they would. And honestly, I just hate sharpening arrows. Like yeah. I, I, I don't like sharpening broadheads all the time. I don't have the time to do that. If I've got a spare hour at home, I'm going to go play with my kids. I'm not going to sit around and, and sharpen up some broadheads. So this year I swapped over and I shot some Grim Reaper mechanicals, which dirty word. I know, uh, you know, using those mechanics. I don't know what you guys shoot. But, <laughs> it don't matter. Uh, as long as you kill dude, something I, with it, whatever you, you like shooting it, yeah. who cares? Yeah. So I, I shot the grim reapers this year because the vector broadheads I was waiting on to come in, didn't come in in time. And so I shot the grim reapers this year was very, very happy with those. They are not cheap though, because you're not replacing any blades or anything. So you're buying new blades or new broadheads every time you shoot something, but really happy with their performance. And then I do have the vector broadheads now in hand and they are, they come sharp as anything. They have replaceable blades and they shoot really, really well. So I'm looking forward to slapping those things on for, for this fall and maybe shooting a combination, you know, of, of um, fixed position and um, mechanicals, just depending on where I'm at. If I'm hunting on the ground, maybe I'm pulling out the fixed. If I'm hunting from a tree stand, maybe I'm pulling out the mechanicals. Just depends. Dimitri loves those severs. I do. It's yeah. hard to go away from them. Yeah. They're, they're, I, haven't, I haven't shot those, but they're on the list. Man, they're a great broadhead. I, I mean, I have nothing. I have zero bad things to say about a a sever broadhead. I mean, yeah. it is. They're tough. I know years ago, like when they were first coming out, when they were like to 2.1, people were talking about like penetration. and But, man, it, I mean, if you got you got that arrow in at least eight inches, that sucker was just going to annihilate the insides of that deer like it was going to be dead and within 40 yards anyway like I, yeah. I don't know what people but i mean then they came they had that 1.5 inch and then they made the the 2.0 uh, inch and uh dimitri i mean you hammered like this year that's all you use right yeah i shot all four deer with with a 2.0 and i think my furthest deer went 60 yards so yeah. i was probably between 30 to 60 yards yeah. Man, that's not bad. No, even yeah. on even on marginal uh, shots, right? I mean, I'm, yep. I, like a couple of times I know, like Dimitri, even you were like, you know, I shot it maybe a little bit farther back, but I watched it bed like from his tree and just snuck out and go back the next morning, and it's exactly where it was. Wow, and just never moved. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Man. Yeah, the I mean, I just feel like the entry and the exit is just so devastating. You know, you get yeah. such a, a a big cut that it just does so much internal damage. You know, even if it's a you know a gut shot or you know liver shot, that there's just so much damage done that you know, as long as you know you don't bump the deer and you play it smart, it's going to be there. And I yeah. we, we never had I never had I don't think you have either had any issues with their O ring. No, no, like because you know they're they're held intact with with an O ring, um, yep. that silicone or whatever it is. You know, obviously, um, uh, I shot a deer with the rec um, mechanical, which uh, that deer I basically put out of its misery misery that that year. I used a, a doe tag on. It was hit by a car and just you know you could tell it was going to die. So I just shot it, and I mean. Uh, it left, left a nice hole on it. It, it resembles the sever. Uh, Matt's, a, they're, they're great people over there. They're actually out of Michigan, so USA made and everything like that. Um, nice. 
I shot Kill the Deer with the Annihilators, uh, which they they're they're a great broadhead uh, as well. That one was a um, pretty crappy shot. Kind of arrow got deflected off a branch and just went right in that that back ham, but it hit the femoral artery, whatever that is back there, and the deer dropped within 15 yards. Dude, those shots are so gruesome. <laughs> if you can catch that back artery, yeah, is like it is a. I mean, it's like a horror movie. Yeah, as soon as as, as soon as I cut her, like as soon as I went in to, to you know field dress her, I mean, it was just like blood everywhere. I was like, oh, this is gnarly because you know, like I saw that it was it was actually was it last yeah it was last year it was the last day that I could hunt and it was getting down to like the last couple minutes and uh, the deer came through and I was like, all right, just let it rip and I didn't see the branch and I saw the arrow hit the branch and the arrow deflect just like that what. 16 20 inches and just hit that back ham and i was like oh no and i'm watching her like just the way she reacted and then like she bounded three times fell over and that was it i was like what <laughs> you know what i mean and it didn't like all hit me at that moment but yeah that yeah. was the, it's a really cool broadhead they fly really good um yeah I, but i'm actually surprised like not i shouldn't say i'm surprised but uh i was intrigued that you said about the single bevel yeah man i just have you guys shot single bevels a lot? I see. Did you go down that rabbit hole? No, well, I've put it this way. I've tested them. I've never oh. shot them at a deer or killed it, but I've shot them through my bow. Yeah, yeah. So I love shooting a lot of weight up front. I love how quiet that makes my bow. I love how that cuts down on the hand shock. Uh, I loved it all, but, man, they just did not do what they should have done. Uh, now I, I will say I was not shooting iron will broadheads. Uh, okay. So, um, great head sharp. Uh, I remember I shot a field point and I shot a, uh, another broadhead. I forget which brand. And I shot the single bevel one twenty five. And when I shot it through, it must've clipped one of the other arrows, like a knock or something like that. Okay. And that, it had a huge chunk taken out of it. No, yeah. So, and I, I called them and I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, could I use my lifetime warranty on this? Like, here's a picture. And they sent me a replaceable blade and it was super easy to replace. And, um, I bought like the screw. I checked the size that you would need, like as far as like the star wrench, I bought yeah. it off of Amazon for like three ninety nine because they sell theirs for nineteen ninety nine. Um, oh, yeah. you know, so, uh, but I mean, I was like, what, like, what would that have done if it was in an animal? Yeah. How about a rib bone? Like what, what would, right. what would a rib bone have done if a knock, you know, chewed it up like that? And that was, you know, for me, I, I, you know, had my buck back in 21, uh, double lung the thing. I caught a shoulder on the way out on the backside. Um, but the whole broadhead was just wrecked, yeah. you know, and, and that was kind of the, the last straw that was the, okay, I'm done with these. I've, I've tried my best. I've done what I can do and, and I've got to move on because they're, they're not as tough as people say they are. And honestly, it made me real confused why so many people are like talking about how tough all these single bevel heads are because I've been very disappointed. Yeah. Cause our buddy, Bill, Dimitri, he shoots the iron wheel uh, from mm-hmm. Pertnir outdoors. And he's like, he loves them. You know, he's like, man, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot a deer. Deer has no freaking clue. It was just shot through the heart and goes and runs, you know, 60, 70 yards and it piles up and which is awesome. And, you know, I yep. just think it's, it's such a user experience when it comes to broadheads. I think that's why that is like the biggest rabbit hole that people could go down. And I just think uh, you shoot what you are one very confident in and two that, you know, 
there's nothing really else I guess you could say. Like it just shoots, it flies great. It's your bow's tuned great. Okay, and you're confident in that head. Let it rip. Whether it's a single bevel, whether it's a uh, uh, fixed or mechanical. Yeah, I I've talked to a lot of guys that that I really trust who shoot iron wheels as well. And they've all had nothing but positive experiences. Right, right. That's why I say, you know, what I was shooting was not an iron wheel. And so I definitely don't want to, um, you know, call into question anybody that's shooting one of those. Cause right, man, right, right. by all means, if you're, if you're having a good, a good experience with it, then shoot it until you don't. I mean, I know people that shoot rage and have never had a problem with them. Yeah. Well, I had a bunch of them and so do, so have a lot of people that I know, yeah. but there's a couple of folks who have always seemed to get a good batch and man, if they work for you, more power to you. Yep. Where, where to next, Dimitri? What rabbit hole? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Maybe his success this year. Yeah. Would he? Because I know you killed a buck. It was pretty cool. I'll tell you what. That was like one of the most heartfelt messages uh, I've ever received when you're like, dude, I listened to uh, which podcast was it? I forget now. Dude, that was Ryan Glitzky. Okay. I think, I think it was Ryan Glitzky. Yeah, I think it was now that you say that. You guys had him on like right there during the rut. Yep. And... Um, yeah, so I, I was doing exactly what he talked about in that podcast. I was covering a ton of ground, looking for fresh sign, and I was in the middle of wondering, like, okay, how much time do I give a spot? And he kind of had a little bit of a different take than some guys, where some guys are like, man, hunt it once, and boom, you're gone. And he was like, well, there are some spots that deserve more. There are some spots that need a little bit more time. And then, he, you know, the way he just talked about keep grinding and all that, man, I, so I, I really took that as, like, my – uh, my uh, marching orders mm-hmm. for the week. And uh, so I had that uh, shot a great buck in Wisconsin, very happy with him. And uh, yeah, man, shot the deer on day three and grazed him. Well, didn't graze him. I got right underneath the, the cape on the back of him, basically. I mean, I, I uh, basically got into the, just underneath the skin okay. pretty much. I mean, it was like, it, it was, it was like a nice piercing basically, you know, uh, could have worn it as an ornament if he wanted to. And then, um, but kept after him. I knew he was in the area, uh, from the sign that I was seeing from seeing how comfortable he was when he came through on the first day. Uh, I had a little bit of trail camera Intel, but I did want to mess with some other trail cams that were in the area. And so I left those alone and I had some cell cameras that were telling me kind of where he wasn't. And so I just kept at it in this area and I shot the buck again, uh, about 75 yards from where I shot him the first time on day eight. Um, but yeah, man, I was sitting there in the tree stand. I think it was the day that it was like 70 plus degrees outside. It was like 72 and I was hunting dark to dark, you know, just miserable weather for, for hunting the rut, especially in Wisconsin. And you're thinking there's no way these deer are going to move, but I popped in that podcast and it just, dude, it got me fired up, man. Kept me, uh, kept me going through the, through the tough times and yeah, walked away with a uh, pretty good deer. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very happy to have him. Um, he's definitely the biggest buck that I've taken and way bigger than what it was going to take to make me happy on this trip. Like, man, I was thinking solid hundred incher and I'm going home a happy man. Uh, had a, a 90 inch eight point uh, or nine point that walked through and at like two 30 in the afternoon I just about let one rip, but I didn't, I let him walk, you know, and then, you know, I'm kicking myself for letting this deer walk. And I'm like, man, should I have done that? And I wait, let aren't you hunt, hunting Wisconsin? Aren't there just like one fifties just, and that's it. Oh gosh, <laughs> dude. It was like the week of the dinks, man. I was passing <laughs> little bucks left and right. Now 
I will say during this time, I had two encounters with this buck that ended up being right at 140, which, you know, is for me, that's a stellar buck, public, private, whatever state you're in, a 140 is a good tier, man. Um, so I had two encounters with him though, and another encounter with a 120 inch eight point that, um, winded me before I could get turned around and, and get the shot. And, uh, a guy that I met actually shot that buck a few days later, Oh, cool! Uh, not far from where I was hunting. And, uh, I think he was right in the same spot where I'd seen the deer a few days earlier. Um, because where I was at on the evening, I shot my buck. I heard the guy rattle. And then I heard his bow go off and I thought, Oh my goodness. Like, I can't believe it just happened 200 yards from me. There's no way I'm getting a deer tonight. And then next thing I know, I see antlers crossing the, the little ditch crossing out in front of me. And uh, sure enough, it was him. I'd been sitting from since daylight, man. And I was already kind of in the back of my mind, like kicking myself, like, okay, this is it. Like I'm not, I haven't seen another deer all day. I saw a bunch of small bucks this morning. Uh, my trip's getting close to over I better just go ahead and start thinking about packing up and, and, and heading home. I got a couple of days left to hunt, but it's probably not going to happen at the last minute. And dude, the, all the, the naysaying going on in my own head of like, you big dummy, you host a podcast called the how to hunt deer podcast. And what do you know? You're out here. You can't even kill a deer, you know, you sucker. Um, but yeah, man, and everything turned around within about two minutes and I shot the bucket, um, at 10 yards. Cool. So, yeah, it was, that was wild. So both, both shot opportunities I had on this buck, one was at 15 and one was at 10. Nice. So I had him in nice and close. Yeah. That's the goal, right? You get him in nice and close. So you don't have to take that 45 yard shot through all the, the big timber. Dude. Yeah. When, but when he was at 10, I was kind of wishing he might be at 15. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it like a super still evening, you know, and oh, very yeah. quiet out and, uh, he's right underneath me. So the way this spot where I was hunting set up, um, I had, I'd been hunting this area because of, uh, some scrapes that I'd found and, and known bedding that I've hunted for the last three seasons. And he came out a few evenings before worked a scrape, then came back out of the scrapes and, uh, kind of heading up towards me. And I thought I knew what he was doing, but then every time I would leave this area or walk into this area, I would bump deer in a specific spot. So finally I was like, Josh, you big dummy. Like the deer are telling you what they want to do. Stop, stop going past this. Just, just stop right there. So this, this morning that I went in on the day that I killed the deer, I go in and uh, I wait until it's daylight already because I'm like, why are the deer crossing right there? It doesn't make any sense. They are literally, they literally have pheasant hunters on top of them. It, when they cross there every day, like it doesn't make sense that this is their preferred route, but I go in there after daylight and I'm going to, I've already made the decision. I'm stopping short, but I want to get up into there and see what's happening. And there's this long uh, agricultural ditch that runs, uh, it used to be an agricultural ditch. Now it's just a ditch because there's no, no ag in there anymore. But the, the banks of the ditch are really, really steep. And then you hit this one area where I kept seeing the deer crossing every day, where I kept bumping deer from, and the, the banks of the ditch flatten out right there in that one spot in a, in a span of maybe 15 to 20 yards. Okay. Right. And that's where all the deer were crossing. Problem is the only tree that, um, I could hunt right there was basically on top of the trail. Everything else was just too thick, too small. Couldn't, couldn't make it work. So I get up into this tree and as I'm watching the smaller bucks that morning dip in and out of this ditch, they would pop down into the ditch outside of shooting range. And then by the time they'd pop back, 
up over the bank on my side, they were right there. And I mean, like almost eye level with me um, because then they kind of would come down the bank a little bit and they are right underneath me. So I knew it was whatever was going to happen. It was going to happen super fast. And I would have to just make a judgment call probably before they even got on my side of the ditch. So anyway, saw, like I said, I think three, three little bucks that morning, a, a doe with her two fawns, which, you know, not very promising for the rut when you see a doe dragging her fawns around still and not being chased by anything. But um, then that evening, probably 20 minutes before shooting light was going to end, um, I see antlers on the other side, but I think it's one of the dinks again. Like just all I see is like a tine sticking up, you know. But it pops down into the ditch, but I'm like, I might as well grab my bow. It's closing time, like who knows. And when he popped up on my side of the bank, I was like, oh, that's – that's not no I dink. was expecting. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was going to be forty inches of antler that popped over, and it was one hundred and forty inches of antler that popped over the bank. So it's like, okay, this is, it's go time. This is real now. And uh, man, he walked that trail at ten yards, gave me a perfect shot, and um, yeah, actually ended up not making the best of shots. I spined him, uh, but he expired really quickly. I got another arrow in him real fast, and he didn't run anywhere, which I was really thrilled about. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But appreciate your podcast, man. Cause that, uh, that's why we, that's why Demetri and I do it, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Well, when we talk about those, those little terrain features on our podcast quite a bit is, is those are things that you can't see on a map. And, you know, cause we talk about e-scouting and pinch points and, you know, ridges and, and things like that. But, you know, it's those little terrain features that, that kind of, funnel deer into a specific area that that are going to make uh huge success for a lot of people and that's what kind of what i've figured out in the one spot i've been hunting as well um and you know that's why getting boots on the ground and, and paying attention to right you know like that crossing even if you didn't see that it would take you kind of seeing the tracks or you know a beat down path in that train because you might even overlook that little that flatten out ditch if, if you just walked by it and didn't really notice it or the tracks or, you know, the deer crossing in that area too. Yep. And there, there weren't a lot of tracks. There wasn't like a beat down trail, but it was the sightings that I kept having that I was like, dude, you stop being a dummy. Like you've got to, you've got to stop there. In fact, a few days earlier I was walking into this spot and I told myself, okay, if you see a deer there this morning, when you're walking in, you're going to stop right there and you're going to set up there. I saw a deer there. I thought, huh, that's weird. And I kept walking, <laughs> just, just blew the deer out and went all the way past it again, going all the way into where I had been, where I had been going, working way too hard, way harder than I needed to. Um, so I, I knew that I needed to, to pay a little closer attention. Uh, one thing I did do. So a little tip for folks who are maybe trying to figure out, you know, that, that terrain feature that's really hard to see on the map, because this one you could not see on, on the topo. I went into Onyx and I turned their elevation exaggeration feature. Have you guys seen that? Yep. So I turned that all the way up. And once I turned it all the way up, boom, there it is. And I was like, dude, that's so subtle. Like I would not even know that this is a spot I needed to zone in on like that and turn the elevation exaggeration all the way up. Like so many things were pointing me to another spot 75 yards past this that had I not paid attention to what the deer were doing and walked in there and then seen the crossing for myself, I would have never, 
Yeah. I would have never thought to go that in depth on, on finding it. So if you, if you've got on X and you want to use that elevation exaggeration feature to try to dial a spot in, it can be super helpful. And Dimitri, that's what we talked about with cam, right? Was like, we tell ourselves all the time, like Josh, you said, you said to yourself, if I'm going in there and I see a deer, I'm going to set up there. And what did you do? You kept walking by, right. And, and doing yep. that, like we do that all the time. Like, oh, man, like what is it with us? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. You would think, man. Cause I literally was recording podcasts with people about that topic. Like I was literally talking about that thing with people on my shows and still for some reason couldn't, you know, finally pay attention. Then after the successful hunt, I had Casey Smith from the element on uh, one of the shows and he was talking about that exact thing. And I was like, got to humble brag with KC for a minute. I was like, Hey man, look, you know, I did this exact thing the other day and I shot a buck because of it. And I was like, it only, it only took me eight days to stop being an idiot and, you know, slow down where the deer were telling me to slow down. But, uh, yeah, man, we can be so hard headed. It is. That's exactly what it is. We're, we're very hard headed. Well, now that you talked about, you know, you wouldn't have found that unless you're getting boots on the ground. You know, you wouldn't have saw that technically on the topo unless, you know, you use that feature or to get that idea. You know, now that it's the end of January, when do you kind of start piecing your plan together for what your 2023 hunting season will look like for you? Yeah, man, that's that's starting to happen right now. So trying to figure out, uh, first of all, what are the hunts that I'm going to be doing? Okay. Uh, I did not hunt in Georgia nearly as much as I anticipated. Uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, the success that I had in Wisconsin. You know, it's a lot harder to get out when you come back and uh, normal life is waiting and you just shot a nice buck, you know, and you're, wa- you're waiting on your buck to get back from the taxidermist. I feel like, eh, that might not be a good point to kind of push my luck, right, with right. the family. Um, but right now I'm trying to figure out what hunts I'm doing. I know I'm doing Wisconsin. Uh, that'll be a rut hunt. It's definitely happening. Uh, I know my goal is to do Alabama again next year, um, which will be a definite rut hunt. Uh, the good thing about Alabama is I can hunt the rut in December. I can hunt the rut in January and I can hunt the rut in February. Just depend to, you know, Where? determine by which part of the state that I go to. Okay. So I've got a lot of wiggle room there. Um, and then I'm thinking about doing uh, an early season North Dakota hunt. I've gotten to talk with a lot of guys that do the North Dakota thing and what I'm learning, I maybe shouldn't even say this on air. What I'm learning is they're all ending up in the same part of North Dakota, okay. like passing each other's trucks and realizing, Oh, that's so-and-so. So I'm trying to kind of dial in a little bit, whether I want to do that. Um, but as far as boots on the ground, man, for those out of state trips, I'm not going to be doing anything. It's going to be all, you know, map scouting, pulling up on X and, um, you know, trying to determine from, from imagery, uh, boots on the ground though, here in Georgia has already started. So I was getting out before season even ended. I started, uh, post-season scouting, if you will, in December, because honestly, I've gotten a good buck this year. I would rather scout than, than keep trying to hunt, especially when I don't feel like I have the Intel already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I've already put on, I don't know, 15 miles or so. Um, which is a, it's a long way from my goal and I would rather be at, you know, 25 miles by now, but, um, you know, I'm already, I'm already out there doing it, man, already out there doing it and looking into some tools to make me more efficient, like an e-bike. So if anybody's got an e-bike, they want to send my way to let me know. Yeah. Three of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about it, Dimitri? Yeah. 
three extra e-bikes you can send them to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you'd send them to right in Phillipsburg and one in Georgia for sure. Right. Two, two in Phillipsburg and one in Georgia. Dude, I'll drive to pick them up, man. Just call yeah, me. Just, like, I'll, I'll drive to pick the bike up. Like you ain't even got to send it. I'm fascinated by the individuals to that like piece one together, you know. But I just don't. I need. I don't have the skill set to do that. Like I'd be like, Oh look, it's together. And that first ride I like go on, it's like, I'm, it's like, I'm falling apart, you know? Yeah. And I also, so I've seen some of those builds and what I'm realizing is a lot of those guys really have a lot of money in them. You know, they they really didn't save when you add in their time, when you add in the fact that there's no warranty on it. Right really aren't saving themselves a lot as opposed to just going with a commercial commercially available bike right, already. Right. So um, I got to use one this past summer from Liza Motors, which is a company out of Alabama. And dude, those bikes are phenomenal and they are half the price of an equivalent that you'd get from one of the bigger, bigger brand names. They are fantastic. And looking at getting one of those for, for this year, because um, one of the big things around here on the WMAs, especially, and it may be the same way where you guys are, um, you know, they'll open up the roads on these WMAs. And then they're for, blocked. What's that? Then they're blocked. Like they yeah, put a gate up. Yeah. So they'll open them up for the, uh, for the rifle hunts, but they won't open them up for bow season. So you end up, you got a road with four and a half miles of road that's behind a gate. Well, how can you ever feasibly hunt that during bow season? You can't. It's not going to happen. You, you can't, I mean, sure. If you want to leave your house at midnight, um, you know, you can maybe get back there, but I'm not really into that game. That's more Parker McDonald, uh, with, you know, with his kayaking in yep. doing things. I'm not leaving my house at midnight. That's just not going to happen. So, uh, so an e-bike would really open up a lot of doors. Um, cause Demetri and I, we, we've done the mountain bike thing and like, especially in the scouting, it's nice because we're not hunting, but some of those times where we did use it on hunts, man, it's, you're just gassing up to go up uphill and everything just to hurry up to get there because you want to have that time. And then, you know, you, you park your bike and you're full of sweat and just did, you saved a heck of a lot of time, but the trade-off was now you're like, you're ready for an oxygen tank and, and ready for a shower, you know? <laughs> Dude, I'm glad you said that because my wife is like, Josh, just buy a good mountain bike. Like, you can get a good mountain bike for a couple hundred bucks. Just get one. And I was like, I don't think that'd be as useful as as yeah. I feel like it could be. Like, it might get me there faster, but boy, pedaling uphill really sucks. So, Dimitri, let me ask you: Do you where would you see a fit for one for us here? So, for me, you know. Uh, the biggest thing for me is, is is some of the public again has a gate, but they do open it up in archery. But the whole summer months, it's it's gated off. Um, so you know, we're talking. Yeah, you're. I don't know. You could go the whole way across there. I don't know what it is exactly. Probably six to eight miles across the whole whole road that's gated all summer long. So, you know, you can't do any scouting until they open that up two weeks before the season. Um, so, you know, that's where I would probably probably use it the most. Um, just because, like, some of the trails off the main road when you can park, I mean, it's definitely feasible for walking. Right, right. Um, so basically it would be more preseason scouting tool than anything for us around here. I definitely see that because, you know, our, our good friend, Tim, 
this past year for hunting season, he used it on a piece actually where he killed his buck and he had a bike. He's like, dude, I had a bike for what I think it was like four, six miles past. Like our area is very, uh, like he has mountains as well in Northeast PA, like where he was hunting. But I, I just don't know if it's like where we were Dimitri, like what we have here, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, on the, on the one private piece I have of my father-in-law's property, it's, it's all uphill. Um, they use, I mean, to get to the top of the mountain, there's no way you could walk. I mean, especially like in the morning or afternoon, it's such a long walk and it's straight uphill and steep. Um, they use a lot of four wheelers to get to the top where an e-bike you could, you know, you could use that to get to the top pretty quietly and a little more efficiently to hunt that so that would be another tool kind of on a private piece to use it yeah really really cutting down on that sound profile man that that's huge for me and you know i'm i'm looking at a couple of different leases potentially for this next year uh mostly for my kids because i'm not i'm not going to lug my six-year-old three miles deep into public land (laughs) but i you know i could try it but (laughs) i want him to have a quality hunt either way so i'm looking at some different leases and a lot of these places you know, roads are impassable unless you've got a four wheeler and it's like, gosh, I just really, I hate the way I disturb things on a four wheeler, man. It's like a now, I mean, I might as well go out there and shoot my gun a bunch of times and be like, Hey dear, I'm hunting you right now. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know. I just can't get around it. But do you guys run a bunch of trail cameras? So what were you at this year, Dimitri? What for how many trail cameras? Yeah. Um, I probably had, I probably had, I had probably five or six here in Pennsylvania and then I had two in Ohio this year. Okay. And I am right about 16 to 20 with, with minus probably minus one, two, three minus three Moultries because they never work. <laughs> I own 20, but 17 actually take pictures. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I do. I totally get that. I've been there with, with yeah. some, and the worst part is you get a brand and it's like, like Moultrie, for instance, I've got some Moultrie. I think it's the a 20 from like six or seven years ago. And I can't kill those things, but I've bought other Moultrie since that basically didn't work the day after I pulled them out of the box. Yes. You know, so it's, it, it's so hit or miss with the model, but dude, checking trail cameras with a e-bike during the summer just sounds like a really pleasant outing as opposed to the bug covered sweat fest that can be trail cam check in, you know, the middle of August. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those trips that you and I did with, on our mountain bikes <laughs> going on that road. Remember that one time we blew through those old people walking about, we yeah. probably gave them a heart attack. Cause we're, you just see these two guys just flying downhill on this dirt road and we're getting ready to go check our trail cameras. And man, I just remember as I'm pedaling, I'm like, I wish that this was an e-bike. I wish this was an e-bike. And you know, Dimitri, like I said, Dimitri's six, three. So he has these long legs and I, you know, you and I, Josh, we got those, you know, uh, the short syndrome, uh, legs. So I'm like, 10 times working harder and he's flying and stuff. Uh, but man, it's, it's, uh, an e-bike would definitely be in the cards and it's ho- it's so hard though for to justify like 
heck, even like you said, I know there's other really good brands out there that are a lot half the price. Like there was a good one that I know a bunch of friends were using that was like around the 1K price range, right? A thousand bucks. Man, is it really, I can't just spend a thousand dollars just for a piece that's going to let me go check trail cameras. I know some people do that and that's okay, but like in my situation, I just can't. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where, where I have been as well. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's tempting and it, it would be real awesome. Yeah. Cause, there, cause, cause there's a piece even where I hunt back at home where I did use the mountain bike getting in and out that made it a lot quicker, efficient. I, it wasn't a, a far distance where I would be sweating a lot, but it was definitely got me in quieter. It definitely went from a 20 minute walk to a four and a half, five minute bike ride. Right. Yep. So like, that's a huge cutoff. Um, but, uh, you know, riding my, an e-bike on that would cut that down to a minute and a half and potentially allow me to go even further. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. They, man, they're, they're hard to justify, but they'd be really nice. And you know, with the, with the habitat consulting, I've been able to have a little bit more leverage there. Like, you know, if I had one of these e-bikes, yeah. Sure, could zip around these properties a lot faster. Yeah. Well, geez, if uh, you know anybody's willing to help out the Antler Up podcast and the How to Hunt Deer podcast with an e-bike, let us know. We'll be we'll be more than happy to test run them and for you. But no, man, I, that's good stuff. And um, sweet man, Josh, I, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? This was we're, this was fun. And I want to hear your postseason scouting plans. Like, I need okay. to have you guys on the show again to hear like what's going on in your world. I know this isn't exactly like slow time of year for you, but like, when's it, when's it, when, when's the grind, when's the kickoff and do you shed hunt? Like, is that a thing or are you just like, ah, if I see a shed while I'm postseason scouting, I'll pick it up. Go for it, Demetri. You start us off. Yeah. So that's, that's basically what I end up doing. (laughs) I mean, I, I guess I would call it shed hunting in the past, but I mean the, the antler, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot, right? The deer density is not, not yeah. there. So, I mean, it's a needle in the haystack. Yeah, we're finding spikes. We're trying to, you know, that's like. <laughs> so I, pin. Yeah, so I will do some postseason scouting, uh, you know, probably February, March. You know, once once it kind of lets up, I'll, I'll maybe check out a few pieces. And that's typically where I, I will scout out some newer pieces that I, I, I may want to hunt in the fall. And then, uh, you know, leading into summer, then I'll kind of dive into those a little bit further. But I think this year I'm kind of going to change my strategy. And I don't think I'm going to put trail cameras out till mid to late August. So, you know, I'm going to kind of, you know, use the summer more for family time. And I've just, because what I've seen is, you know, putting those trail cameras out and getting those summer picks isn't really translating to what I'm seeing in the fall. So I'm going to kind of dive those and utilize those closer to, you know, the, the, uh, inventory and the transition areas that are going to, uh, kind of guide me into the fall and what, how I'm going to hunt. Yeah, man, I, I think that's probably a good move. So this past year, uh, I had really great intentions of getting trail cameras out and I didn't get hardly anything out until I think it was September, like almost September 1st. And I don't feel like the data that I had come hunting season, like the usable actionable data. I don't think it suffered. I don't think it suffered, but it saved me a lot of time and earned me a lot of brownie points when I was saying, Hey, let's take the whole weekend and go camping instead of, Hey, let me go check a bunch of trail cameras. Yeah. So Jeremy, what about you, man? When are you getting, 
When are you, when are you starting your off season grind or has it already begun? Uh, I, I wouldn't say it has begun. I would definitely say kind of like what Demetri said, especially here locally, you know, we're, we are a couple days away from potentially getting like six to 10 inches of snow. So like that's going to, you know, close some, some definitely roads up to get, uh, your truck on and all that type of stuff. But I want to say about that same time. And like my focus this year is going to be, uh, especially back at home in Northeast PA, the couple areas uh, that I've been in this past year or in kind of another spot that I found and hunted uh, where I had some really good bucks on camera and everything. I want to dive into that a little bit more just to kind of solidify areas of like, Hey, this is, I think I found a good spot, but I think I was still on the outside fringe of things uh, where I could possibly put myself in a better situation. Like I found a good scrape deer were hitting that scrape every morning, but it's like, okay, where were they coming from? Where could I've been in a little bit closer and maybe had better wind or better entry exit route. So I'm going to try to those areas and those areas might be like a thing where in say April, I go in there and I do hang a camera, like a cell camera, but don't turn it on until September. Right. Or until uh, late August, beginning of September. So then that way that trip is taken care of. Right. And those and if I do it in April, it's going to look a lot better than come August when everything's fully green. Right. Uh, So that's kind of my attack for that. But once the the snow starts letting up here, there's a couple of different areas that I heck that Dimitri and I haven't ever really been to or hunted to that I circled and really would like to get out and have in my back pocket for here, because I think next year uh, I'm planning a trip to Kansas and I would, I'm still on the fence on when. So uh, yeah. So for, Going around here, I want to have a lot more intel because last year uh, I did one day scouting here in Central PA, and it was one day with Dimitri, and we hung up a camera. We actually just, what, no, we put new batteries in it because we had it up for over a year, and it's still up there. But um, So I want to be able to hunt here a little bit more, and my goal is to kind of, I don't know, I say it now, but I know I'll go out in October early October times, but I'm not going to put a lot of eggs into those baskets. Like if it's, I don't know, October 10th and it's 65 degrees, like, I don't know, I, I might go out for a couple hours in the evening, but I'd rather maybe do something most of the day with, with the family. So then that way when like October 27th through, you know, November 9th hits, like don't bother me basically. Yeah, dude, I, man, this is the first year that I've ever, only hunted I hunted very very little before before Halloween I hunted two days uh three days before Halloween this year and they were all basically over a long weekend and I banked all of my days really for that October 31st to November 15th and dude I have not regretted it yeah one and that's that kind of time yeah like I feel like I learned so much like not just getting to walk away with a deer but I learned so much because as soon as I shot that deer and I was out scouting next day, you know what I mean? And, and so I, I think that's a solid strategy and I don't think that, uh, I don't, I don't think it'll make you, I don't think it'll make you second guess yourself. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's the piece I'm excited for just because it was something that I was, I would, I said to myself to kind of try to do this year and I did not, you know, it was still every weekend. I took my daughter out like twice on, on the weekends when it wasn't as great. We had kind of crappy weather. Obviously it was warm in that, in that early November time, but 
I kind of waited until that, what was it, Dimitri, the, that 12th weekend, like our Saturday, Sunday, like our Sunday hunting that we had, I kind of took that Friday and Monday to still hunt and uh, put those eggs in that basket, which there were pretty good days, but man, our, my best hunting day was, was Halloween weekend. And that's like, it, there's much rut craziness. I just, I didn't seem to get in the craziness like I've been able to the last couple of years. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's my, that's the plan, you know, get after it. Well, Josh, man, I appreciate it. What, uh, when, let everybody know when those, uh, episodes drop on our sportsman's empire. Oh yeah. So my episodes come out, uh, the Wisconsin sportsman launches on Tuesdays, how to hunt deer podcast launches on Thursdays. Sweet. So, So, uh, both ends of the week. Yep. Tuesday and Thursday. I like it. And then, uh, you know, I got to give you a lot of props because like, I don't know how Mitch does the whole Pennsylvania. Like, I think that's where like Dimitri and I eat, sleep, breathe whitetail, right? Like I know Dimitri loves going out turkey hunting and and does his fair share of that. You you go out fishing. Uh, he, he goes out with the fly rod and everything like that. And, but man, I, I, I was telling you earlier, like, I like going turkey hunting, but it's not something I'm like, I can't wait, you know, like how some people are. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like I, I'm, that's why like, like for you to do the Wisconsin things, like you're saying ice fishing and, you know, doing the bow fishing thing. Like, I don't know. I'd be like, ask one question and I'd sit here and be like, um, <laughs> I'd be like, Dimitri, what do you got? What do you got? <laughs> oh, dude, it there's, there's so often that I've got people on that. I'm like, I don't even know the right questions to ask you yes. because I know nothing about your sport. I yeah. know nothing about what you do. Um, and I, I do catch a little bit of flack where guys are like, you know, are you ever going to talk about anything but deer and turkeys? And I just respond with two word, two letters N O. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> Like these are the things that I love. Like, yeah, I'll cover as much as I can about Wisconsin, but at the end of the day, man, I'm a deer hunter and I'm a turkey hunter as a close second. And, um, that's going to get the bulk of my focus. So yeah. yeah, I try to give something for everybody. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't mind having people on for something where like I said, I'm a big, like we're big in the education side. Like that's, I think our main platform is like, is, you know, we just shoot from the hip, but we're also educational base with that. And I think, you know, even if I did not know, like how you just asked us, like what's our scouting, you know, like I would, lo- I wouldn't mind if someone wants to come on and talk to us about what their passion is because obviously they're going to be able to talk about it. So, yeah. you know, if anybody's interested, you know, if that's listening and you, you know, there's something that you've never heard from us in here in Pennsylvania. And I mean, obviously there's Mitch with the Pennsylvania woodsman and everything, but you know, something for, for our platform, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, man. If you are a basket weaver, please <laughs> reach out to the Antler Up podcast. <laughs> thing. I cannot wait to get that episode in my inbox weave that shit (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's good well josh man i appreciate it thank you so much check him out every tuesday thursday with his his podcast and uh we'll 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 get down and dirty with the whole scouting coming up here soon so appreciate it man yep thanks buddy thanks for having me on awesome see you next week everybody antler up